a listener production. You are listening to episode 137 of the Howie Games Part B featuring legendary boxing commentator Colonel Bob Sheridan. Time to jump back in the ring. So I want to ask you about some more fights, but as a sports commentator myself that is not even a thousand levels below you. Not really. I mean, I think the way, you know, we talked about a good friend, Matty Weiss, who produces uh, television in, in Australia. And then the commentators over there, they're absolutely as good as anybody in the world. And, and guys like Maddie and even the guys in, in New Zealand, they produce as good a television as there is any place in the world. Well, that's very kind of you to say. Well, Thank the professionals. You. So where do you – I love in commentary entertainment, and that's why I said when I tune into a fight and they say, and the commentators tonight are Colonel Bob Sheridan, I know – the fight might be okay, but the commentary will lift me up because it'll entertain me. So is is the entertainment component of what you do something you developed or was it always with you showtime? And how important do you think entertaining the audience is? Because you do it better than anyone I've ever heard. Well, I was brought up under an old-time broadcaster named Red Barber in the United States, and he trained another guy who was a little bit older than me, named Vince Scully, who was absolutely the best baseball announcer in the history of baseball in the United States. 0-1, the count to Finley. The outfield is shallow, the infield is up. Finley today is 1-4. for Franklin set, Wayne ready and deal, swung on. High fly ball to deep right field. Wherever it goes, the Dodgers have won, and it's a grand slam home run. One thing that Red taught us was, number one, You've got to be prepared. If you're doing an hour show, have enough material for five hours because you never know what might happen. And that's that, that uh, to this day, I prepare. Prepare, I mean, I don't care how many fights I've done, you're only as good as your last broadcast. You know, people are fickle. And number two, you got to remember you're actually talking to that person. Like right now, I'm talking to you. But if we were talking to 10,000 people or 100,000 or 100 million or a billion, it's the same thing. You're talking to that guy and keep that in mind because a lot of times when people do a broadcast today, it's an inside thing. People don't even know mm. what they're talking about. People don't do simple things like identifying their guests. Who is this guy that's talking? I don't know. I just turned it on. You got to remember that radio and television, they tune in and they tune out. They come for early fights. They come for late fights. They come for the championship fight. So I constantly, I don't care how familiar Manny Pacquiao is the other night, made sure I identify Manny Pacquiao as the guy with the black trunks. The stage is set. Where's set to go? Bob Sheridan here. You see Mike Tyson in the black trunks. You know, so they know who's who. Because not everybody that's watching a, a big fight like that knows the fighters. They're there for the entertainment value. Therefore, I've never said that I'm a journalist. I say I'm a sports entertainer. And yes, entertainment is what I do. Because the last thing, Howie, that I want is a guy watching my show and saying, boy, this is boring. I want to tune up. He ain't getting away from me. Once I get him, <laughs> I got you. Just <laughs> when I think I'm out, they bring me back in, Michael Corleone. <laughs> so, so the bit that really got me, and I'll talk to you about uh, Douglas in a moment, but the bit that got me, Tyson Holyfield won. It's all over. We have a new heavyweight champion of the world. Can you? 
you believe it? Do you believe it? Okay, and Edson has marked his own on his feet. Cody wants shots. What's this? He got him. He's got him in big trouble. Mike is taking off as he's done. It's all over. We are the heavyweight champion of the world. Can you believe it? Do you believe it? Like that commentary for me is as good a boxing commentary as I've ever heard because that I'll say it, that grabbed me by the nuts and drew me in there. I'm not going anywhere at that point. Yeah, well, you know, that's, that's, that was my job. That's what I was supposed to do. And that's why the producers and the inside television people love me. That's how I got my work. But the yeah. journalists, so-called journalists, we don't have any journalism today. And so the, the star of the show is not the person you're interviewing. It's you, and but that isn't the way it's supposed to be. Like you're giving me plenty of time to uh, to say what I want. You don't interrupt me. You're a professional, but most people aren't like that, and they think they're the star. And that's the trouble with journalism today. There is no journalism because there is no ethics. When I was working in a sports newsroom, if you were going on the limb on a story, you better have two sources to back it up because if they didn't, see you later. That's mm. when journalism was journalism, but that was back in the '60s. 70s. So today you can so, say anything, and if you're wrong, you just said, well, I was wrong yesterday, and here's what really happened. That's ridiculous journalism. Take me to February 11, 1990, the first heavyweight title fight in Japan. Just another day at work for Mike Tyson, as they call to the center of the ring by the referee, Octavio Mehran. the dressing room destruction. Shaken. States and other places around the world. So if you think the crowd isn't into it, we're in the Tokyo Dome. Here, but it's not that they're not into the fight. It's just that they don't seem to react the same way they do. Where Douglas, I reckon he was 41, 42 to 1. Like Tyson, massive underdog. What are you thinking when you're seeing Tyson on the back foot at that stage? Well, the first thing I recognized was Tyson wasn't mentally ready for this fight. Uh, Mike didn't like being in Japan. He was very surly at the, uh, at the uh, weigh-in, uh, very disrespectful to some female reporters. And I said, this is not Mike I know. So I went up to Mike's uh, suite and I said, Mike, what's wrong? He said, I don't know, Colonel. He says, I'm not, I'm not really into this. He says, I don't like you. I don't like the food. I said, well, you had a job to do. He said, I know that. He says, I'll handle this guy. Okay, Mike, I just, just want to check with you. And, uh, so anyhow, uh, that was it. And uh, I went downstairs and said, something's wrong with Mike. In, my, in the back of my mind, I didn't tell anybody because, you know, when you're that close to a fighter, you can't, you can't let that information out. Mm. And I was equally as close to uh, the whole crowd from Ohio, which, of course, was Buster Douglas. And his, uh, his trainer, a guy by the name of Jimmy Johnson, was a, uh, a coach at, uh, at Ohio State in football and he trained him, and I had just done about five fights in a row with Buster Douglas. And, uh, you know, Buster, Buster was good. He's a heavy puncher, and he, but he had a lot of weight on him, you know? And he trained down for this fight, and he was in really good shape. And about, I think, three weeks before that, his mother died. And so he psychologically was fighting for his, the remembrance of his mother. In other words, uh, Jimmy Jacobs had died on Mike's side. He'd lost his girlfriend. He didn't want to be there. He wasn't eating properly. He probably started smoking marijuana about that time. So he wasn't mentally ready. He might have been physically ready, but he wasn't mentally ready. Mm. And so the, going back to your question was, what was it like the first time 
that I saw Mike take a step back. I knew he was in trouble, but I couldn't say it. And for some reason, Mike doesn't seem to be into it. I said, that's, but I did say, if you recall, that's the first time I've ever seen Mike Tyson take a shot and go back, except for the mm-hmm. fight against Bruno, who he went back one time, and then you know what happened to Frank Bruno, he knocked him out. So let's see how this thing develops. And as the fight went on, I began to realize, this ain't Tyson's night, you know? And, I, and But still, I can't commit yet. And then I begin to see him backing up more and more. I said, boy, I tell you, this round is going to Buster Douglas. Coming up to the closing seconds of the fifth, and this is certainly Buster Douglas' round. All right. And Buster not taking any of the shenanigans from Mike. He outclassed uh, Mike. Mike wasn't firing back. Mike doesn't seem to be getting off. He's squaring up his shoulders, so he doesn't have the power with the right hand, and I haven't seen him throw that vicious uppercut yet. Something's wrong with Mike. That's the first time I said it. And two rounds later, Mike drops him. He, he drops Douglas. I don't know if you remember that. Very few people yeah, remember that. Oh, that's a nice uppercut that time. The drops Buster Douglas. The count's Ooh. up to two. And then the round after that, I said, now this will be the test and if Douglas can come back. It's up to seven, seven and eight. eight. And here it nine. is at nine. Is he going to get up? Yes, he okay. does. Look at this. In the next round, Buster Douglas won. In the following round, he knocked him out. And once that mouthpiece came out, the famous pictures of putting the mouthpiece in backwards, and no, he was done. And that was the biggest upset in the history of heavyweight boxing. No doubt the biggest. your commentary at the time, again, it's your job is to be able to nail the moment. Mike Tyson hits the canvas. He's in big trouble. Oh, nice uppercut by Buster Douglas. Look at this. He's knocked down for the first time in his career. Mike Tyson hits the canvas. Then you're doing the count, Bob. Seven and eight. He's not going to make it. And then the bit that sticks with me. Unbelievable, unbelievable, unbelievable. And he's, he's not going to make it. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Buster Douglas is the new heavyweight champion of the world. The ability at that stage for you to take us into the ring is from where I sit, just as a normal punter, why you're the best there's been in this caper. Just keep saying uh, the check will clear in about a month. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I, I know you, you joke and you laugh around, but it, it's that ability, I think, to to nail the moment when it counts most that makes the elite broadcast. But that go, that goes back to the training and the preparation. Don't forget, I made it a point to to get with these fighters. Let's take a recent champion, Joseph Parker, who's close to home for you, uh, from yep. New Zealand. I mean, and, and David Truer before that. I went to David's family. I went to his church. I went to their Sunday dinner because the Samoans, they have great, uh, every Sunday is like uh, the 4th of July over here. And, and, uh, uh, and the same thing with Joseph. I know his, uh, his dad is Dempsey. His mother is Salah. I know his brothers. I know everybody in the family. And Joseph and I are very close. I so you immerse yourself. You really immerse yeah, yourself you in, in the to. fight. You have to to <laughs> get the right feeling. The other guy that I'm fairly close to now is, uh, is Fury. I mean, Fury is some character. He puts him down! Fury scores the knockdown! He said he would knock him out! He's going for it! Here's the third round! Wilder is down again! He's a giant of a man, and he's a tinker, which means he's a gypsy. Well, the name Sheridan in Ireland is synonymous with being a tinker or a gypsy. And people say, oh, geez, I wouldn't tell people that. I said, I don't give a shite. 
I am what I am what I am. <laughs> I'm proud of the fact that I come from the the depths and the dregs of the earth because I got myself out of it, you know? Oh, on that, on that, you, you're obviously a, a very successful and a very wealthy man, but doing a little bit of reading, Bob, uh, you, you've had ups and downs like we all have. You've had a lot, you've lost a lot, you've had a lot, you've lost a lot. What's it like? We, we have a lot of kids listen to this show and a lot yes. of people listen with their families and, and you know, kids are beginning to realise that it's not all 10 out of 10. There's, there's tough times along the way. What happens when you lose it all, which you've done I think probably a couple of times? Yeah, I have. And uh, Do you mind me asking you that? Not at all. You ask me anything. You and I are friends. Okay. We're mates, as we okay. say back home there. Thank you. But uh, listen, it's part of life. Uh, we're not put on this earth to get a smooth uh, ride all the way. I don't know what religion a lot of you people are, but uh, I know that Australia is a Christian country, so yeah. people uh, believe in, uh, in a highest spirit. And if you're Catholic, you certainly believe in Jesus Christ. Well, the way I look at it, you know, losing my wife was worse than losing my money. Losing my wealth just meant I had to dig in and, and uh, take more fights for less money. You know? What happened? Well, uh, uh, the first time I got sick, it was about seven or eight years ago. And, you know, my lifestyle costs about 25 grand a month. And that's fine as long as you're taking in a million dollars a year. But when you, all of a sudden you don't, it doesn't take long to run through your savings. And that's what happened to me. Huh. And then one year I had disease in my herd in Ireland, which wiped out all my cattle. I had brucellosis. And that wiped out all my cattle. And that was a, a tough year and tough to recover from that because... By that time, I was living back in the States and it was tough to take care of everything that needed to be done in Ireland and not have the money to really do it. So uh, I sold my farm to, to get out of that jam. And if I'd been able to wait just one more year to sell it, I would have got probably $5 million for what I got $100,000 for. <sighs> but when I bought the farm, it was only $3,000. So, you know, I still did all right, but I, I bailed myself out gradually. And then when I was dating my wife and she was living in, uh, in Spain, I, I was in one of the low, uh, low points of my life and I had to get to see her once a month. So I did gamble. And you know, you can gamble for matchsticks and you can gamble for gold. But until you have gambled for love and lost, then brother, you haven't gambled at all. Back to Bob in a moment. The Colonel has actually appeared on the podcast before in our Moment documentary series of podcasts. Check out the episode titled The Moment, The Fight, released on April 2018. It's in the Howie Games feed, The Moment, The Fight. The episode takes you behind the scenes of the world of boxing, right behind the scenes, focusing on a Jeff Horn title fight. December 2017, Brisbane. Jeff Horn and Gary Corcoran step into the ring. The WBO This is the story of two men chasing the one dream to be the best. Please don't let this end now. You're doing so well. Look at the future, what you could accomplish. Just keep going. One man learned to box to stop the bullies. I remember having those thoughts of ending your life. The other was born into it. April Reserve. All of them box. All box. All box, yeah. It's a story of money. Is a billion dollars possible? It's been done. A story of pain. It just goes black for a second, then you're sitting on your butt. And a story of iron wills. That's it, dig deep. Dig deep. 
Right. Characters, there are plenty. And I ended up grabbing a knife and my hand got sliced open. Well, that was my boxing career over. As well as boxing's biggest names. And I started to say, let's get ready to rumble and just kept fine-tuning it through the years. Come into the ring on Fight Night. Uh, I continue uh, When it's all stripped bare, when the beauty gives way to brutality, this is the story of one punch, one moment. I think that's it. I believe this. The world's awake championship of the world. That's the moment, the fight. Check it out. All right, let's get back to the Colonel. So, Colonel, the famous fight between Holyfield and Tyson, which we'll get to in a moment. The bite fight, they call it. Is this the fight that you were lucky to get to? Yeah, very much so. You know, everybody remembers that fight because of the ear bite. Yes, but why do you remember it? I, I remember it because I was in the hospital the night before getting angioplasty. What happened? I had a heart attack. So the night before the fight that you were going to commentate, you had a heart attack? I went to the hospital and... Uh, I told the uh, doctor, this Dr. Ram Singh, I had to get out of here. He said, you're not going anyplace. He said, you just had a severe heart attack and there's possible damage to your heart. I said, but uh, I feel great. Now, that wasn't my first heart attack. That was about heart attack number three. Jeez. I had my bodyguard with me then. His name is Poncho Lamont. So about uh, two o'clock in the afternoon, I said, Poncho, get the doc up here. So the doc comes up and I said, doc, I'm leaving. So either you pull these wires out of me or I'm pulling them out. He said, you can't, you can't. And, and Poncho leans over a minute, very few words. And he says, hey, doc, not only is the colonel going to the fight, but so are you. <laughs> and, and the doc is like looking at Poncho and says, who the hell is this girl? And uh, well, the long and the short of it was, I went to the uh, fight. I had to get home and get cleaned up, put on my tuxedo. Because uh, all my stuff was at the MGM or a stand. And uh, so I got cleaned up and I wasn't totally prepared for everything. But under the circumstances, I had memorized so much stuff. And uh, so I was able to do the telecast. The waiting is over. The talking is done. The rematch is here. Evander Holyfield, confident, relaxed, cool. He says... He doesn't look for the Tyson he fought November 9th. He thinks Tyson will be more aggressive, which he feels plays into his hands. Mike Tyson predicting a sensational victory. The sense of anticipation as before the first fight is almost palpable. Here we go, fight two, round one. But I'd done the undercard all the way up, and then my producer, a fellow by the name of Marty Corwin, he said, Colonel, do the close to the show so that as soon as this is over, uh, uh, you can get out of here, get back in the ambulance, or go back to the hospital. Jeez. So I, I stood up and I did something like this. Well, what a night of boxing this has been. Who would have ever guessed it would end this way? <laughs> From the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, Nevada, this is the Colonel Bob Sheridan saying, so long, world. And off I went. So that, of course, who would have known, but you know with Tyson, something crazy was going to happen at some stage. And who would have believed it? Nobody. What did you think? What did you think when you saw, like, it, people forget that he bit, he bit him twice. What did you think 
the first time. Like you, oh my goodness, he's got a bloody right ear, is what you were saying at the oh, time. Actually, I didn't realize what he had done. I saw a strange. Do you remember how he put his hand up and he jumped up in the air? He was hopping around, wasn't he? What happened here? He got bit, I think. Evander Holyfield, look out! He's pushed right here above us by Tyson. And, and so the guys in the truck are trying to help me out because I didn't see it, you know. I saw the blood. I said, I don't, when you're broadcasting, you got to be honest because you cannot fool the public. I said, no. I don't know any more than you do exactly what happened. Even though I've got the best seat in the house, I think he may have done something to his ear. I didn't even use the term bit it. Oh, my goodness. He's got a bloody right ear. Oh, disgusting tactics here by Mike Tyson. But Evander's bleeding from the right ear. I can see it, like, right in front of me now. And uh, then uh, Mills Lane was the referee, and he comes in and, and starts looking at it, and then you could see it. And then then the uh, cameras by that stage had the, uh, you know, had the replay, and it was really slow, and you could see him actually, you know, his, his mouth was right on top of him. But that's not the first uh, bite that I've ever say, seen in the heavyweight division. There used to be a... Heavyweight named uh, Ozzy Ocasio, and his nickname was Jaws Ocasio because he used to bite everybody. But okay. he usually he usually bit him on the shoulder. But Mike was a street guy, and he was frustrated. See, the problem with that that nobody ever talked about was in the very first round of that fight, Ivana threw a punch, went across his face and elbowed him and cut his eye. Got yeah. And he was really annoyed. Don't forget, this was the second fight. And Evander had his number and beat him legit in the first fight. In this fight, Evander was a dirty fighter. There's no two ways about it. In fact, Evander said to me one time, he said, Colonel, why do you call me a dirty fighter? I said, oh, uh, Evander, let's see. Only because you're the dirtiest fighter I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and when you taught Johnny Ruiz to be a dirty fighter, you uh, you actually were out-dirtied by a, a fighter that learned from you. And he just laughed and shook his head. <laughs> Major controversy here in round three. A very angry Evander Holyfield now. A, a left hook. You know, it's oh, funny. Tyson. Mike was having his best he round. Him again. He, he did it again. again. Mike Tyson has bitten Evander Holyfield for the second time. And it is all out war. In a headlock. And look at this. He just reaches in and bites him. It's, it's over. It's over. During that replay. Mills Lane signaling that it's over. I think they've just about had enough. Tyson showing desperation and fighting Holyfield two times. Look out now. More fighting in the ring after the end of the fight. Tyson's trying to get at Holyfield again, I believe. It is complete bedlam, and Tyson is just taking swipes at anybody in front of him. The police are coming in by the squad here, and they're still fighting in there. It's a fiasco in the ring. So this might be an unfair question. You've seen Ali at his best. You've seen Tyson at his best. What would have ever happened in your mind if they got in that magical, mystical ring together? Ali would have won the fight. Uh, uh, I say that unequivocally. Now, when Tyson was in at his very best, that uppercut that he'd have would be almost down like a Pernell Whitaker and come up with that uppercut was lethal. 
And he was a lethal puncher, every bit as, as dangerous uh, in those days as, uh, as uh, Sonny Liston was uh, in his prime. But Mike would have been jabbed off by him all the time because Ali had the movement. And Mike had decent movement in those days and he would have tried to track him down. But Ali would have just, you know, jab, 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 hit him on the shoulder, hit him, you know, try to weaken the arms and, and move and move and move. And that's the way the first part of the fight would have gone. But Tyson eventually would have get tired from chasing him. And at that stage, Ali would have picked up more with the right hand. And, and, and as he was throwing rights, he'd, uh, right behind it, there'd be a left hook to the body. And eventually he'd wear him down and the fight would be stopped or he'd just outpoint him for the, because he would have started picking up in the fourth round. Let's say Tyson won the first three rounds, which he may have. But then again, on just touches, and don't forget when Ali was fighting, he won a lot of rounds that he didn't really win. Because he did the same thing. It was Angelo Dundee's stuff that he did with, uh, with Muhammad and also with uh, Ray Leonard. And at the last 10 seconds, uh, in the last 15 seconds, Chris would be in the corner and tell Angelo, 15, and they'd relay that into the ring, and these guys would put on the alley shuffle and the whole thing. The crowd would come to its feet and forget what happened for three quarters of the of the round. Any close round, Ali got it, and so did, uh, so did uh, Sugar Ray Leonard. And by the way, yeah, Ray right. Leonard is a terrific, terrific guy. Bob. Uh, frequent listeners to this show know that I have a couple of young children who ask questions occasionally of the guest. Now, I believe you are getting, because my wife just sent me this because I had to leave early this morning. You are getting the question from my nine-year-old son. His name is Mac, Colonel. Yeah. Now, he, you've got the nickname the Colonel. His nickname is the Big Penguin for reasons I won't go into. But uh, are you ready for the question from the Big Penguin? I'm ready, Penguin. I'm ready for you, son. Hey, Colonel Bob, Big Penguin here. First off, I love listening to you commentating the boxing. You've got a great voice. But what I want to know is where do you commentate? Do you commentate beside the ring or in a commentary box like my dad? Uh, first off, Howie, what's your main sport? What do you do, uh, rugby? Or... Yeah, I do cricket and Australian football. Yeah, well, Australian football, first off, I love. And, and uh, no, we're not in a press box like you would be doing football or cricket. We're seated right at ringside, right next. And I like to say, and your dad was with me at a couple of fights, and uh, yeah. right in the mud and the blood and the beer. And it's just like that, isn't it? Well, that, 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 that's the thing that amazed me. Sitting next to you in the Horn Corcoran fight, like, there, was, there was blood and sweat, and I don't say this lightly, literally on your notes as you were writing on them. Yeah, well, that's for sure. And that's why, if you notice, I always wear a black shirt and a red tie. <laughs> Because I'm tired of going out and spending $100 for a tailor-made shirt for one fight. And the same thing with the ties. If it's red, I can just lick the blood off and it's all right for the next show. <laughs> I will tell the penguin all that detail and more, Bob. Hey, penguin, you're the best, son. I'm glad that you... Uh, I'm glad that you asked that question because you gave me a chance to look like I'm as bright as your dad. <laughs> no. Hey, Bob, what, what do you reckon is the key to being a successful sports broadcaster? Well, you have to have the gift of the voice. And I had nothing to do with that. You have to also have the desire and the love for the sport you're doing. And even though rodeo and baseball is my favorite sport, and I've done both of them commentating, you know, boxing is what I fell into. And, you know, yourself, when you're preparing to do a football match, there's a lot of preparation. 
Mm. Not only do you have to know your own team, but you got to know the visiting team and you have to have notes about each guy. I mean, people think we just spit this stuff out. Now, you're a young fellow. You can probably memorize stuff quicker than I can at this day and age, but I have notes on everything. And uh, uh, the great broadcast here in the United States, Vin Scully, same thing. Everybody said, boy, Vinny could tell a story. Those are all from note cards, you know, to at least remind you, you know, who, where, what, why, when, and how. And so I know, I know, because I've heard uh, some of your cricket commentary, and while I don't understand cricket, I really understand uh, watching it because there's a lot of skills that are in cricket that are in baseball. And what I'd love to do, I think this winter, and I think it's in Melbourne and Sydney, there's a, isn't there a World Cup in uh, cricket? There is. There's the, there's the T20 World Cup and then there's the Ashes, Australia versus England, which is the big one. That, that's our World Series. Well, that one, if you give me the date of that, I'd like to come over and sit with you as you did with me and listen to you call a cricket match. I would love that. I would love that. I just hope we're in a position where we could do that in the world. That would be fantastic, Bob. Before I ask you a final question, Bob, give me a Colonel Bob story from a fight or a moment on the road or something that has just tickled your fancy at the time. And I know that's a broad question. I'm putting you on a spot. Just give me a... Give me a classic Colonel Bob story. Uh, being in Zaire and I had a, a machine gun guard, uh, actually two machine gun guards, a Mercedes limo to ride around in and nobody to show off to. That was it? If I had that, if I had that in Miami for one weekend, I'd have been Lord Mark. <laughs> all right, Bob. For all the youngsters that are listening that want to achieve something in their life. You've had a tremendous amount of success. They don't necessarily need to be commentators or into sport, whether they want to be pianists or IT experts or movie makers like your son, Dennis. For all those kids that want to achieve something with their life, what little bit of advice would you give them that you've learned over yours? Number one, when guys, when guys would tell us to stay in school and get an education, Reading, reading, learn to read, read everything you can so that you can read out loud and, and you won't be afraid to stand up in front of the class and read. Uh, don't be afraid to public speak. Learn to do it in front of your family and then then a few other people and, and maybe play an instrument so you're used to performing a bit. And then after that, it's just strictly desire and preparation. Remember, I started out buying my airtime doing a hunting, fishing and camping show just to get on the air. So you got to be filled with a passion to do this because everybody in the world who watches sport wants to be a commentator. But everybody who watches sport can't because they're great until the red light comes on. Then you're exposed as a prize fighter when the bell rings. When the red light comes on, that separates the boys from the men. And i tell you this, Howie, when the red light comes on for you, you're ready and so am I. I love it, Bob. I cannot thank you enough for your time on the Howie Games. I hope you are fit and firing again soon and I can turn on the telly and listen to you commentate boxing because, as I said, you're the best that I've ever heard and I think most people see that around the world. It's been a treat to have a chat with you on the podcast. Stay safe, get well, and thank you so, so much for your time, Colonel. Well, my time is nothing, but your kindness to me on the air was wonderful and I really thank Matty Weiss for... uh, for putting us together and and have you sitting next to me. And remember, I want to sit next to you during, it doesn't make any difference if it's a big game or not, but I really would like to come down there and 
watch a cricket match and learn from you. I would love that. Thank you so much, Bob. All the best. Thanks, Howie. Great to be with you, son. Colonel Bob Sheridan, I told you at the start, he was larger than life and could tell a story. Now you know what I mean. Thanks to Bob the legend for lighting the show up with his enthusiasm, passion and warmth. What a star. To you all listening, stay safe, keep rolling forward and keep an ear out for a really cool episode next up with Stephanie Rice. Until then, peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try If we try, try, try Listener